Hello and welcome to the People to People podcast. I'm Hazel. And I'm Chimsy. We're here to bring you the second part of our conversation with Yona and Amy. Have you seen our Instagram messages, Chimsy? There's one from our listener, Ellen. What's Ellen saying? So Ellen says... Hi, Chimsy and Hazel. Thank you very much for the podcast. I really enjoyed listening to the last episode on decolonization. To me, it feels like being anti-colonial is like a moral philosophy that extends to how we treat our planet and the organisms on it, most of whom have even less of a voice. Looking forward to the next part of this episode. Ellen. Oh, fantastic. That's That's nice. nice, isn't it? Yeah. I like it when people send in messages me too it helps make it a conversation which is really what we're all about we're all about conversation listening to each other aren't we well she can listen to part two so in part one yona used some phrases that we're just getting used to please do go back and have a listen if you haven't but i thought we could quiz each other on the terms so i went to look it up and of course the place that i looked the english cambridge dictionary right and i thought hmm there it is the system that frames everything, the lens through which we view the world, which is an old establishment thing. And it probably has embedded racism, does it? Is the dictionary itself racist? I don't know. But I also don't know what else to use. And I did a bit of research and I found that there is an African American, there are some African Americans writing an African American English dictionary, which is interesting. With all that in mind, would you like to do the quiz? Go on. Right. Okay. Diaspora. Okay, I feel like I know what it means, but don't know the actual dictionary definition. (laughs) That's fine. Just have a stab at it because I think that's an easy one to start. Okay. Oh my goodness, Hazel! Uh, I should have read. I should have read this before I came to work. (laughs) Oh, it's a quiz. Uh, so like I know I'm part of the Malawi diaspora here in Scotland. Um, So is it a group of people? from an original country in another country. So it's apparently a group of people who spread from one original country to another country or the act of spreading this way. Do you want to give me a word? Okay, I feel like there was a word that he used. Epistemological? Epistemological. Epistemological? Yeah, and epistemic justice was something he used as well. Yeah, he used quite a, quite, quite a lot of words in there. That... That's why we're doing the quiz. Right. So epistemic is how we know things, is that right? Yeah, yeah, so you're on the right track. So it's relating to the part of philosophy that is about the study of how we know things. So epistemic justice is... <laughs> what, is what is that, Hazel? Like justice about how we know things. Yeah. Right, so... Uh, According to Google, it relates to the sharing of knowledge or knowing something and is not about abusing this. Right. Got that. Anti-colonialist. The thing is, like, I know, I know, I know these words and how they're used, but I just don't know how to define them. So I'll read it. Opposed to or directed against the system in which one country controls another. Neocolonialism. Controlled by a rich country? Of a poor country that should be independent and free. Did you just think of that, Chimsy, or did you read that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have my phone in front of me. (laughs) Okay. Right. Uh, I'll give you one more. Okay. Decolonization. So 
decolonization, if a country is being colonized, it's the process that of that colonization going away. So the country is taking back control of themselves and the country who colonized them is being removed. It is, yeah. Uh, would you like me to read out the definition? If you'd like to. So decolonization is the process in which a country that was previously a colony controlled by another country, becomes politically independent, which is the process of getting rid of colonies. Uh, This process can include things like changing the curriculum uh, in a way that considers the cultural beliefs behind it. So, for example, the belief that European writers, artists or ideas are better and more important than ones from that country. So it's not just about political control, it's about changing ideas and beliefs? Yeah, a very big task. But that's what this episode is all about. So there's just one final one, and that's hegemonic, okay. which was new to me as well. It means strong and powerful and therefore able to control others, relating to the idea that a country's like this. And I think Yona in a previous episode said in a domineering way, which is another way of describing it, I guess. Okay, so what... what- I'll put this all on our Instagram for anyone who is interested in the definitions. Yeah, and feel free to challenge them and suggest other ones as well that you feel we should be learning in our process. Right. So I hope you're now ready and prepared for the second part of this really important conversation between Chimsy and I and Yona Matemba and Amy Blake. Yona is a senior lecturer in social sciences education at the University of the West of Scotland. And Amy is a former chief executive of Classrooms for Malawi and now working with Challenges Group. So, Yona, you've been a member of Scotland-Malawi Partnerships since 2004. I think it would be very interesting to find out what the conversation was back then and what the conversation is looking like now, because I feel like a lot of important conversations have changed massively during the pandemic with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. Has that accelerated the whole conversation? And what was the conversation before Black Lives Matter movement? And what is that like now? I'm glad you asked that question. One of the tensions in Scotland, at least, is between the diaspora Maui and and the Scotland-Malai partnership. So the Scotland-Malai partnership is between two peoples, the Scots and Malawians. And guess what? You have Malawians living in Scotland too. What do you do with them? How do you engage with them? The answer to that solves one, one part of the problem. Right, so the, the, the effective engagement with the Malawi local, I call them, because <laughs> they exist, they're here, they're many. Right, the, the problem has been this great interest to go to Malawi and, and, and do things in Malawi, which is a great thing, right? But completely almost forgetting that the Malawians are here too. And, and why is that important? Why is that valuable? It's valuable because. If decolonization or if the Scotland partnership, for example, is to find itself into a space that invites all, not only the ones in Malawi, but that invites the ones that are here. Now, I'm not saying that the Scotland partnership hasn't done, it has done a lot. It has done a lot to engage, done a lot to encourage, done many things. But like in any relationship, you always keep on trying, you always try to improve. There's no very finality, like in a marriage, you always have to find ways all the time in you know, finding new ways of re-engaging, new ways of doing, to make sure that all of them are on board in these great conversations about people to people. 
So the people-to-people conversation is really important. And I think that should include and must include the Malawians that are here in Scotland as part of that wider conversation, not only the Malawians that are in Malawi. <laughs> and I think the Scotland Malawi Partnership is aware of this. And I think the Scotland Malawi Partnership is, is a movement that responds. So one thing I want to say quickly about decolonization is this. Decolonization is beyond including Africans or including people of color in, in board meetings and so on and so forth. I see this quite a lot, so that's why I'm mentioning it. The fact that you have two people or two black people from Africa in some board or committee doesn't make the organization a decolonized one, unfortunately. Actually, it makes it worse. What it does, it ticks a box to say we have done it. When the structures still remain, the dominance still remain, nothing really has changed. Effective decolonization, and that's where I go to anti-colonization, is whereby it goes beyond numbers. It goes to the structures of how things are done. So what we call epistemic justice for it to happen, it has to admit that the structures need changing. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean that displacing one and then in place of it, bring in a new one. Then you have the same problem that you're trying to run away from. It's about e- equity of space and enjoying the same space together. That's what I mean. So for me, that's decolonization, that's anti-colonization, whereby different voices, different experiences, different types of people, cultures, and so on and so forth, are working together in this same space and admitting and acknowledging one another that we all exist and we all share into this space. You mentioned in the beginning there's a disparity of power in the relationship. Do you think that will happen? Yes and no. And I think the yes is because the experiences of Scotland with Malawi, both historically and the present, is an example to emulate anywhere in the world. Yeah, The no part is that unless we acknowledge that the structures remain, then nothing will change. But if we acknowledge to say there are certain structures, what do we mean by structures? Maybe we're using victims. What do we mean by structures? <laughs> we, we, we mean the things that make things work. The very engine of things. Sometimes it's driven by money as well, isn't it? So a lot of the structures or the way that partnerships or relationships between Scotland and Malawi have developed over time have been because of this imbalance of financial power so sometimes a partnership has become dominated by the global north and we've talked about this within the scotland malawi partnerships for school visits for example which can have great benefit but also if some thought hasn't been put into how they are run and how they're established at the outset then it become become very much that the malawian community are sort of othered in a way and that they are seen as something that happens after in Scotland lots of work has been done around fundraising and talking about travel and a trip can take place and then the partnership kind of starts which is the wrong way around entirely some things have just run the way that they run year and year and year and year and year and it's very easy to get into that system and also they sort of work in terms of finances and often with colonization we're talking about money and growth and the it's, it's a whole web of kind of topics which are all interlinked together but as soon as that 
part of it is removed and we are talking about an equal partnership that doesn't the money side of it actually should never <laughs> should never be part of the conversation and unfortunately it has done and so for classrooms for Malawi in a way the pandemic was a blessing in disguise and to some degree because in a way it completely because travel could no longer take place it caused for some of the questions that we'd been asking within the organization pre-pandemic it caused for them to come to the surface very very quickly and so the organization and similar organizations like that would have had the option at that point to actually address how they run really dig beneath the surface and go what can we do how can we change this and how do we start this more as a partnership or do we just wait for the pandemic to pass and then do we just crack on and do it <laughs> the way that we did it before? And I'm proud that Classrooms from Malawi took that opportunity to look at how the partnerships developed and really flip it on its head. And the reality is, is the travel aspect of things doesn't have to take place to a degree. You know, those partnerships, if they're peer-to-peer partnerships, they can be done online. You know, young people with young people. That's a completely different kind of partnership than the other way around, which could be construed in that way, saviour narrative. A lot of it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. It's that bravery, that piece of reflection for an organisation, for itself, and also for the individuals within it to say, okay, we need to take this moment to stop and really think about what structures are we continuing, you know, and where can we take the steps to then start to address those? Because the world has changed so much. And if we as NGOs keep perpetuating, well, you need to have classrooms, you need to have X, Y and Z. Actually, is that true? You know, who's saying that? You know, who actually is where is that coming from? And that's sort of the question around who's feeding the information, because is that really the need of the community or could that funds be used somehow quite differently, but that better suits that opportunity themselves and will have a wider yeah. impact? Yeah, and, and I, th- I think the community sourced or local kind of solutions to problems, I think that's quite important. And, and it's part of the decolonization process, by the way, and listening also to what actually people need in local communities is part of it. But I think I will add to say that, and I think this is where the problem is, because we need to end this perception to think that, at least people from Africa looking at people from Scotland, to think that they're bringing all this money, that money is easy to get, and so on and so forth. But sometimes maybe us from Scotland, we create this perception because we don't explain. We're coming from completely two separate uh, understandings of the world. Their realities are completely different. I see that. So trying to encourage the partnership approach in more depth. So trying to get the partners in Malawi to be proactive in terms of what actually is the need of the community, what are the requirements of the community, have the voices been heard in the community and for them to all come forward with, you know, what is actually really needed on the ground. And so often the response to that would be what we would want to hear in the global north. And that takes a lot to to go back and ask again. 
the easiest thing to do is say, well, actually, yes, we've been told by the community that that's what the requirement is. And so that's great because we've ticked the box of partnership because we've done this sort of needs assessment and the community and those on the ground have said that's what's required. But actually it isn't because we've been told what the group think we want to hear. And that's exactly what we're talking about. And this is really, really challenging to try to understand is how we start to break that down. But I completely hear what you're saying there and the organization and the individuals themselves have to really check and question you know is that is that information coming from a structure or something that's been established in the past or actually is that the real fact of what we what we need now I was going to ask you whether you think that there is a change in younger generations coming through and whether or not you can see this emerging perhaps in the younger age group? That's a good question. I think there's there's both good news and a facade. The two things going on at the same time. <laughs> there's, a youth, there's, there's a youthfulness or the youthful facade of what they think they know as best. But also there's a reality that they are changing things or challenging things. The youth are supposed to be the future that changes things for the better. But in many cases, the entrapment is so great of the things going wrong that even the youth themselves are part and parcel of this problem. So what's going on here? What's going on here is what I call the Americanization of the youth. So Americanization of the youth is to think that what they watch in this American kind of TV and music and so on and so forth is the reality of the world. When I teach in Africa, and sometimes I do teach, I do go. And my students initially wouldn't believe me. And I said to them, what you see is actually a facade. I say, no, 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 sir, it can't be a facade. That's how the Americans live. They're rich, you know, look at them. I said, no, 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 you need to go to Bronx. You need to go to the streets of New York. You need to go to streets in D.C. And I was in D.C. a few months ago. People sleeping in the streets. Can you explain it? So oh, really? So oh, yeah. Do, have you ever noticed the statistics of how many young people in America, especially the black community, who are in proper education, so on and so forth? You know, those on them to say, oh, so what we are seeing in these pictures and movies and some is not actual the actual reality, what is going on? And what we adults, what can we do? One of the questions that was asked of me, what should we do then? What about the youth and the youth the future? I said, yes, they are, but we have to prepare them. We must prepare them so that they can go into the future to make the changes that are required. But they need to have the knowledge, the structure. They need to have something that foregrounds them to have the confidence to be able to make the changes that are actually required. But the youth are ingredient, are crucial, are important to this whole process of decolonization. If decolonization is ever to work, it rests in these young people to be able to understand the complexity of the world. I'm not sure they are there yet. They might think they are, but I'm not sure they're there yet. I have one final question, if you don't mind. Right, so I was reading one of your papers and one point that you made that really stood out to me. So uh, I grew up in Malawi and I went to boarding school, which means my parents had to pay. And I think there's two different sorts of boarding schools in Malawi. So there's like the fancy boarding schools. So let's say Kamuzu Academy. Uh, you know, and then there's like your local boarding school, which is sort of like the one that I went to. Places like Kumuzu Academy, it's very much like there's a lot of Western influence in the education system. You do GCSEs, you know, my cousin went to Kamuzu and she did Latin, which I thought was very useless, you know. 
I was wondering what sort of curricula you think Malawi sh- should design that is helpful for the local population. Yeah. So in Africa, the problem is that decolonization of the curriculum, that, that debate hasn't started. That's the problem. It hasn't started because they think they don't need it. And today I'm arguing Africans need it as much as everyone else needs decolonization. It's not a one-way process. But let's talk about the language of instruction in our curriculum is English. Now, I'm not saying English is bad. I mean, it's helping us to communicate right here. So I can't say it's a terrible thing. But it's not the only good thing that should come out of a curriculum. And so there's a lot that needs to be done in Africa when it comes to the question of decolonizing the curriculum. A subject, uh, a debate which in Africa hasn't started. Why? I'm going back to this white savior problem and thinking the, the West is better and all this debate, which of course it isn't, but people believe in it, it to be. This is where I'm going back to the point we made today. So decolonization is about decolonizing ourselves first. So everyone, you, myself, the communities we live in in Malawi, even the villagers in Malawi, they've got things that need to be decolonized for them to understand what's going on. So decolonization is for all of us. Once we engage and understand that decolonization is for everyone to be able to decolonize the place where they are and the individuals who they are in the way they think and what makes them think the way they do, knowledge making, and what, what informs the knowledge making, then we can begin to free ourselves from this terrible dilemma we find ourselves in. Can I make a request for a session on decolonization around climate change? Because that would be a really interesting conversation. It's an extension of what we're talking about here, but then, you know, the impact of climate change obviously has a wider impact in the global south in terms of how it's affecting people. If you could have that as a session, that would be awesome. So that's a good place to finish. I really like Amy's suggestion there to have an episode on decolonization and climate change. And it reminds me of that film that we watched together. Do you remember, Chimsy? Yeah, it was. I I really liked that. I went over to Hazel's house and we watched a movie, which was in English and Chichewa. Otumbuka. The Ants and the Grasshopper, it was called. We rented it off YouTube, so I'll put a link in the show notes in case you're interested in seeing that. And we also need your help to make that episode and all the other episodes. So please step forward and point us in the right direction. It's peopletopeoplepod at gmail.com. We have started collecting resources that people have told us are helpful to decolonizing themselves and working our way through them. They're now in our show notes, but it is a collaborative list and we need your help to make it grow. I've had a wee look, Chimsy, and I've picked something out that I like. So do you want me to read it out? It's a wee bit long, but at the same time, it's like the whole thing in five steps. Okay, go on. Give me the five steps. Yeah, right. So they use letters and not numbers. So I'll just read it how it is. Our approach must be guided by A, an understanding of the historical and ongoing impact of colonialism and coloniality of our disciplines and providing origin stories, which sounds good, right? Yeah, B, interrogating Eurocentrism in knowledge production, including in our teaching and assessment methods. So I guess this is quite specific to decolonizing a curriculum in higher education, but it could apply to any organization, right? Mm -hmm. C, resisting essentialism, the belief that all individuals of the same ethnic or cultural groups share similar traits, which is important. Yeah. D, focusing on individual positionality by analysing social identity, e.g. race, sexuality, and locating oneself in the social matrix of power. So that's like me recognising my privilege as a white, straight, cis woman, which is important. 
and E, acknowledging, critiquing and changing the influence of systemic racism throughout all power structures. So what do you think about that? So the one that stands out to, to me is interrogating Eurocentric, Eurocentricism in knowledge production. So one of the papers that I read by Dr. Yona Matemba is how you can decolonize he wasn't mainly talking about Malawi, decolonize the religious studies. I think that's really interesting. And it's a really sensitive subject in Scotland as well. So you get multicultural communities, but the schools are using European centric religious celebrations. Like not all of them. Lots of schools are bringing in lots of other cultures and it is really exciting. As, as a parent, how do you feel? I love it when the kids come home from school and they tell me about a religious festival from another faith that I've never heard of. Hmm, yeah. To ground all of this with what is actually happening right now, next episode, which is in a fortnight, we share a conversation we had with Richard and Nohara from Bubesi Pride Foundation. We want sports for development contextualized for the Malawian context and for the Malawian people, for the Malawian society. We're working together. It's a collaboration. We're learning and sharing from one another. Please just subscribe to make sure that you do not miss out on that one. Excellent. Right. We need some music to play us out this week. What have we got, Jimsy? We have some music from Ntamani Kachusa. Ntamani works for the Malawi-Scotland Partnership as a regional coordinator from the north. This song is called Tambawenga. The People to People podcast is independently produced by us, Chimsy Dory and Hazel Darwin Clements. We're very grateful to Amy Blake and Dr. Yona Matemba for their time. Thank you so much.
we didn't have much time. The issues are too many, but we had to end at some point. <laughs>